Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks for spending whatever moment you are with us. Uh, Yeah, it was an awful week 12. What a brutal Sunday slate of games. The games we hoped were going to be good were uncompetitive. The close games were because of bad play on the field by likely inadequate football players. Um, But so you don't have to watch them. We did it for you. Yes, that's what this podcast is for. Before we get into it, I do want to tell you about our Thanksgiving schedule. It's going to be much of the same. We'll have another podcast on Tuesday morning to hit you with waivers. We'll then have another podcast on Wednesday morning previewing the three Thanksgiving games. And then on Thursday morning, we will have a preview of the rest of the slate of the weekend game previews with me and John Daigle and Ian Harditz. All this week. So enjoy that one. All right. Won't waste any more of your time. Let's get into it. You know, the Raiders had surprised for most of the season to a 6-5 and five record, but today they were absolutely demolished by the New York Jets at home. 34-3. to three. That brings the Raiders' road record to 1-4 and four away and just another West Coast team going east in that 1 o'clock time slot and losing. Ian Harditz had this game for us. Ian, I guess because they're actually in the playoff hunt, let's talk about the Raiders first. I mean, I don't see anything of optimism at all. 127 passing yards for Derek Carr on 27 attempts to go with an interception. Josh Jacobs, 10 carries, 34 yards. How did it all fall apart here? Like you said, man, there's not really anything good to talk about from this entire offense. I mean, Carr, uh, I don't know if he took a deep shot like the entire game. They didn't have a single reception over 20 yards um, on the afternoon. So when you, you couldn't get your typical rushing game that Josh Jacobs has provided for most of the season going, that's why they finished with three points. I mean, usually I feel like Carr has um, benefited from both great play calling from Gruden, but more importantly, I think just Josh Jacobs in the ground game consistently picking up uh, solid yardage, staying in front of the chains, putting him in good positions. But once you know you took that away and you asked Carr to kind of carry the whole offense, it all came crashing down uh, pretty quickly. And it was pretty disappointing to see considering, uh, like, you know, the Jets have, I think they're second in DVOA going this game against the Rush. Like, we knew it was going to be tough for Jacobs and these guys to run the ball, but. Everyone has been able to pass on this defense. And, you know, it, Darren Waller had a couple good catches in the second quarter. But other than that, it was just pretty much nothing other than a couple dump downs to, to Jalen Richard for the passing game to speak of. Yeah. And I've been talking about how good this Raiders offensive line has been and how close it is to 2016. And that's allowed one, the running game to get going and two, Derek Carr to play inside, you know, the plan of the offense. And it doesn't seem like that there was that much disruption. Correct me if I'm wrong, because it's only one sack Derek Carr's name. Um, was there more disruption than that or was it just nothing could get flowing here? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like he was getting knocked down every other play. He he actually had one throw early on the game where I made a note that it was kind of 
it was unlike him because he stepped up into pressure, you know, held on the ball for an extra second and made an accurate throw down the field. But, I mean, that was kind of like the only one time all game I saw him uh, hmm. uh, really get going. I think the problem with the Raiders' offensive line is, like, they have to – they can't just be very good. They got to be incredible because I feel like whenever pressure even gets within a couple yards of car, you know, he feels like it's time to dump it down and get it out of his hands. So, uh, I feel like they, even, they have to work even harder than your, uh, than your league's typical better offensive line. Jalen Richard was the team's leading receiver with 47 yards. Darren Waller had 41 yards on three catches. Tyra Williams, just 18 yards on two catches. All right, on the Jets side of this, this is a three-game winning streak for the Jets. And Sam Darnold followed up, I believe, a great performance against the Washington Redskins with another great performance for 20 of 29, 315 yards and two touchdowns. He made some great throws and clean pockets last week against the Redskins. Was it much of the same this week against the Raiders? He ran for a touchdown, too, from four yards out. Poor Le'Veon Bell. Darnold had two touchdown passes from the one-yard line and then kept the read option from the four-yard line. So it uh, could have been a bigger day for the running back. But uh, no, I mean, D- Darnold played really well throughout the game. And what's really fun with him is when he finds that right balance where, you know, he's able to, if it's first or second read or open, he gets it to him. But if they aren't, he kind of starts playing backyard ball. And yes, he'll make some bad mistakes every now and again doing that. But if he can limit the bonehead throws, I mean, he's awesome to watch outside that pocket because, you know, he can make any throw on that field with his arm of his so um look it was honestly i think we gotta give adam gase a little bit of, pres- of, of a credit for this game i mean both of the touchdowns on the goal line one was a design screen to griffin that resulted in a walk-in touchdown the other one was a crossing route to robbie anderson but robbie anderson had a chunk play uh earlier in the game that was on a flea flicker that again gase deserves credit for and i think just overall kind of getting this offense back on track because look it was it was looking pretty recently like the Jets were just kind of giving up on this season, and it was going to be, uh, you know, one of these just terrible uh, second halves that we see a lot. But look, they've now won three straight games. I know it's only been against the Giants, Redskins, and now Raiders, but hey, they got the Bengals in Week 13, the Dolphins in Week 14. So it's not like the competition hmm. level is really going up anytime soon. And Ryan Griffin somehow hauls in another touchdown catch. Uh, Jamison Crowder wasn't needed in this one at all. Just four targets, two receptions, 18 yards. The player I want to talk about and ask about before finishing this game, is Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson was heavily involved. Five targets, four receptions, 86 yards, and a touchdown. I haven't been able to say that about Robbie Anderson in weeks, so maybe to the people out there that might consider playing him now in lineups, what was his usage like in this game, and what made it different? With those upcoming matchups I just mentioned, I don't hate using Robbie, but still, man, we're talking about five targets here. And with Robbie, that's kind of been the case all season, where you're getting five maybe best case six or seven targets and he's going to you know need to cash in on those one to two deep balls and then hopefully if he gets a red zone look uh, you can find the end zone there because you know Demarius Thomas Ryan Griffin and even Crowder to an extent too like Robbie used to just have such a bigger role in the intermediate and underneath areas of the field or maybe it wasn't that he had this bigger role but he didn't have his teammates actively taking that role away from him like it is now so I still think he's gonna be a thin play more weeks than not just because there are low-key a good amount of pass game options in this offense after you consider Le'Veon Bell and, you know, you consider what uh, um, Ryan Griffin's kind of been providing lately. And same thing kind of goes in the Raiders' side of the ball, too. You're just not seeing many guys from these offenses, other than kind of Jamison Crowder in certain weeks, finish with anything around that 8 to 10 target range that produces the blow-up week. So, yeah, it was a good performance by Robbie. I love watching the guy play. I wish he'd have a more consistent role, but I just don't think that moving forward we're going to see him start to, you know, just ball out on a weekly basis. And Le'Veon Bell did have five catches for 59 yards on five targets. All right, the other game you had, interesting one, the New England Patriots at home beating the Dallas Cowboys 13-9. to Again, that improves the Patriots to 10-1, and and the Cowboys down to 6-5. and Only 22 points scored in this one, Ian, and it certainly seems like weather played a heavy factor. What was fascinating to me was that Dak Prescott started the game without wearing gloves, was just missing wide-open targets like a third-down conversion to Randall Cobb, a few other off-target passes, and then like early middle part of the second quarter decides, well, this weather is really impacting me, and so I'm going to start wearing gloves and put on a pair and finish with 19 of 33, 212, and an interception. So this certainly halts the momentum of Dak Prescott and possible MVP talk. 
Yeah, it was funny at a halftime. They had Gronk in the studio, and he was talk. He was kind of giving his uh, comedic take on the game, and he was talking about how you know Patriots. It could be a blizzard at seven a.m., and everyone better be on that practice field right when practice gets going. He goes, Cowboys. You know, if it's a little windy out, then Jerry Jones might come walking down and tell everyone, "Oh, come on now and get back inside." So pretty much called the Cowboys out for being soft, which was funny. But the big issue here was, yeah, it seemed like the Cowboys just didn't even prepare for this to happen. It was in multiple facets of the game. I mean, the, they had two kickoffs fall in front of Tony Pollard because no one told him to come up because the Patriots were kicking into the wind. I mean, it's this multiple, they had a block punt. They had, they lost, I think 20 yards on this pre-snap penalties. And when they were trying to punt the ball away, it was like one coaching gaffe after another. I mean, I saw Des Bryant uh, shout out, uh, throw out the X, but he even tweeted, like, it seems like the Cowboys have the better players, but the Patriots have the better scheme and coaching. And yeah, that's what I saw for 60 straight minutes, more or less. I don't know if we've talked about special teams on this one, but like in a game that only 22 points are scored with multiple missed field goals, it really did come down to in some ways special teams. And you mentioned those punt formation penalties. I mean, the Patriots didn't even have someone back to return. They motioned someone in to go and block the extra punt and left a guy wide open on the left side for the Cowboys. But then the Cowboys had like no idea how to set up their blocking scheme. Uh, it was an illegal motion. So the Patriots got an extra 20 yards a field position and you mentioned the kickoffs like it was just a wild turn of events over and over and over again and then in field goal range about say culminates the best of them best of them all yeah jason garrett like elects to go for this field goal down by seven points then to try to work the rest of the field again to try to get another touchdown because you're only you're down by four at that point and you're still gonna need a touchdown none of these decisions seem correct today and it's kind of becoming a theme here with the Cowboys and it sucks, right? Because this is a talented roster. It's a talented team that has playmakers at basically every level of the field, but it's just not working out in these close and decisive moments when they need to, because Ian, I think they're much better than the six and five record indicates. Look, one of their problems, too, on defense, I think, was they just didn't. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence was a little slow coming back from that injury early on, but they've added Robert Quinn and Michael Bennett, and now they have, like, legit difference makers at all three levels of the defense. I think the defense is fine. You know, we've seen the offense average. I, I think they're still at the most yards per play out of anyone this year. You know, Dak MVP talks before this game. Zeke's obviously, even if he's not having the most amazing year, he's still anyone's idea of a, you know, feature back for a very good run game. And it's like, yeah, they just can't. The fact this team is six and five is ridiculous but you know they haven't beaten a team with a winning record yet this season so we're, we're gonna have to see them you know beat philly and hopefully get in the playoffs through the nfc east but man it's like you just keep waiting for them to take a step forward and put it together but it has not happened uh, to this point let's talk about some of these individual pieces it seems like amari cooper just wasn't a factor it kept being in and out of the lineup it certainly seems like there were injury concerns despite i think he was taken off the uh, injury report. He had no catches on two targets, including, and I don't necessarily know if I would call it a drop, but a diving attempt on a fourth down with like two minutes to play. Randall Cobb was the team's leading receiver with 86 yards and seven targets. Michael Gallup had 55 of his own. Ezekiel Elliott had a total of 126 yards. He was really the only difference maker for the Cowboys in this game. I was about to say Zeke was the only kind of consistent source of offense, but even then his long rush on the day was just 12. So it's going to be hard to, you know, consistently move the ball downfield against a, against a defense as good as the Patriots if you're not creating explosive plays. And Randall Cobb had a 59-yard catch and run on a deep crosser. That was a great, great catch and run by him, great throw by Dak. But, I mean, other than that, they had a 22-yard uh, completion of Michael Gallup, and, like, those were their only explosive plays of the ball game. So, again, it's tough to – have all these special team things go against you, have poor coaching go against you, and then not also uh, give yourself a chance to succeed with these explosive plays. So, you know, we'll see better days out of the receiving corps, but I don't know with Cooper if it's going to be in the near future. I mean, he's obviously playing at less than 100%. His snaps are limited, but he's still out there for a good amount. I mean, he played 51 snaps today, so it wasn't like he was just sitting on the bench the whole time. But, you know, like like uh, last week against Darius Slay, I think the bigger issue this week was his cornerback matchup, and that was Stephon Gilmore, who has shut down everyone across from him this year and I think at this point he needs to be in the running for defensive MVP because look Patriots best defense in the league and I think Gilmore with his ability to just take away the opponent's number one wide receiver week in and week out I mean he's that key cog in there and Belichick you know people kind of scoffed at him a little bit when he, they gave Gilmore this huge free agent uh, contract a couple years ago but I think whenever we see Belichick uh, pull out that checkbook moving forward you know we really really got to take notice 
It's almost like the people should read about cornerback and wide receiver matchups in your column each week, Ian. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's talk about some of those Patriots individual players because it's not like the Cowboys were the only ones who struggled offensively either. In fact, I mean, the Patriots in recent weeks have only put up 20 points, 17 points, and now 13 points in that three-game stretch. Tom Brady was 17 of 37 for 190 yards and a score. Sony Michelle, 20 carries, 85 yards, which... I haven't looked it up, but it certainly is among his season-high totals. And then Julian Edelman, 12 targets, 8 receptions, and 93 yards. You know, this is a team without Philip Dorsett. It's a team without Mohamed Sanu. And in some situations, they relied on Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry to step up. Yeah, Jacoby played well with 74 yards. He had a couple drops, but also made a couple big catches. Same kind of thing with Nick, with Nikhil Harry. He had the nice 10-yard touchdown uh, on a kind of contested catch, back shoulder uh, look, but also had a drop, also had another contested catch situation that he couldn't come down with. I think the future is bright for both these rookies. They've kind of flashed in their kind of limited snaps this season, but at the same time, we're going to see them out of the lineup moving forward once Philip Dorsett and Mohamed Sanu are back. So I think for, for the time being, they're better re- real-life players and assets than – actually fancy viable pieces but look Julian Edelman is the only high-end person in his offense right now because unfortunately Sony Michelle in a game where he gets 20 carries he actually runs efficiently 85 yards you know we still didn't see the Patriots line up for any plays you know inside the five-yard line and it's like in past years that was kind of the main thing we always knew was going to happen was the Patriots going to rank among the league's top three to five teams and carries inside the five-yard line but this just has not been the same offense this year and we talked about this going in this week but i mean going in this game Patriots number three in scoring number 24 in yards per play i mean when tom brady comes out on his own and says the defense and special teams are the strengths of his team he's not kidding the offense has not been able to consistently and effectively move the ball all season now they're fine because they're incredibly smart and their defense is incredibly good but man you know it, it gets worrisome when you start thinking about how they're going to score with uh, the chiefs or maybe even like the texans next week uh, when they really have to Despite the Atlanta Falcons being on a two-game winning streak, a hot two games, they fall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home, 35-22. to That brings the Bucs to 4-7, and seven, and the Falcons down to 3-8. and eight. Hayden Winks had this game for us. Hayden, how this happened? Like, I'm looking at these Bucs stats, and we know that Chris Godwin and Mike Evans have both been outrageous this season. I think they both are over 1,000 yards for the year. And Jameis Winston finished this one with 313 yards on just 28 completions with three touchdowns and two interceptions. Well, it didn't start out pretty for Jameis. Jameis threw two picks early, including he had this jump pass that was just horrific. And it looked like it was going to be a full Bucks implosion. But Winston battled back, hit Chris Godwin over the top for a 71-yard touchdown. And then kept plugging away. And basically what we saw is the Falcons defense kind of regressed to what we were used to in the first eight weeks of the season. Hmm. They didn't put any pressure on Jameis Winston. He ended up with zero sacks. And that was kind of the difference because the Bucks got after it against Matt Ryan. He had six sacks. Um, and yeah, that was the difference. I tweeted during games, which again, I would instruct everyone not to do that. Um, but I've been saying it for weeks that like Jameis Winston, who would want this guy on your roster in 2020 with any chance of him as a starting quarterback? And I know like you can look at the 313 yards and three touchdowns, but I believe now he has six multi-interception games this season. And that's not even considering the fumbles he has this year. So like, despite how many steps forward he takes in games to guys like Chris Godwin, to guys like Mike Evans, he still has those two incredible interceptions, incredibly awful ones that bring your roster back, bring your team back and bring you to this point that it's very difficult to come out and win games when you're putting yourself that far behind the eight ball. Right. He has like a hundred turnovers and I forget the exact time span, but it's like since like 2015 or something like that. I mean, just an insane amount by far the most in the league. And James, James will keep you, in the hunt and comeback mode because he's willing to air it out. But playing with the lead, Jameis, is scary. And even when he's coming back, he's going to be prone to all these mistakes. So impossible to trust. Yeah, so scary ahead and scare, scary from behind. So I don't know if that's a recipe for a starting quarterback. Uh, Chris Godwin, you mentioned eight targets, seven receptions, 184 yards, and two touchdowns. I believe he had one that was just in tight, like a hospital ball that he came down with. Uh, Mike Evans four catches, 50 yards on eight targets. Ronald Jones got it going in a week that probably no one played him. Uh, 12 carries for 51 yards 
and a touchdown. You mentioned it. No sacks on Jameis Winston, which was magically different than the Falcons showed those last two weeks. I guess on the Falcons side of this, uh, Matt Ryan was 23 of 46, 271, and an interception. So no touchdowns passing for Matt Ryan. Is this something that we should be worried about as the weeks progress? Because, again, we looked at the Falcons this season. Despite them being bad and they only have three wins, Matt Ryan, the offense, had played very well this year. Yeah, start off the season with six straight 300-yard games, and then we've seen his ankle injury. We've seen the offensive line fall apart, and we've seen them trade away Mohamed Sanu, plus have Devonta Freeman and Austin Hooper banged up. And then today, Julio Jones is in the locker room for a little bit. He returned. He had a shoulder injury, something to monitor later on. Um, But yeah, when the Falcons dropped back 55 times, somebody's going to step up. Today, that was Calvin. Some of it was in garbage time, but he had a career-high 14 targets. Um, So yeah, going into next week, they play the Saints. Um, The Falcons basically have no shot shot against them. Hmm. But Calvin Ridley will be involved. Um, Julio Jones will be back, I'm sure. Um, But yeah, I don't think we can bank on Matt Ryan being that like top five quarterback for the rest of the year until he gets Austin Hooper back until we see his ankle healed up. Yeah. Matt Schaub was actually the one who threw the touchdown, um, a 21 yard strike to Calvin Ridley along the left side. It, um, yeah, it was okay. Cadre Allison led the backfield in yards of 20. He actually scored a touchdown, uh, Brian Hill, who you should never picked up. Not talking to you, Hayden, talk to everyone out there because he's just an average talent on a bad football team. Nine carries 14 yards. That's it. A long carry, of five yards. He also had three catches on 13 yards. I mean, it's kind of meaningless to start Brian Hill or anyone in this backfield moving forward. Yeah, and then what we saw most importantly, at least Brian Hill last week, he had, I think, 15 carries, but he lost that goal line intercept or goal line carry to Kadri Olsen. Same thing happened today. Kadri Olsen got more involved. I'm not positive that Brian Hill will be the number one back in this committee next week. And that's assuming Devonta Freeman uh, doesn't come back. So yeah, I, I wouldn't want to start any of these backs, especially against uh, New Orleans next week. Julio Jones, nine targets, five receptions, 68 yards. You know, this is like a secondary that so many people wanted to attack in Tampa Bay. And I'm sure there were a lot of cash plays or stacks out there that people used yet. You had Calvin Ridley with the most yards with 85. You had Russell Gage with 76. You had Julio Jones, was 68. Um, it was just a bad day at the office, I guess, for all of them. Yeah, Julio Jones has been very consistent with his usage. Um, being out for a couple, maybe like a series or two, hurt him this week. Um, but yeah, when you're dealing with such a bad offensive line and then against a team like the Bucks that blitz a ton, that's kind of a recipe for disaster. Um, Julio will, Julio will back uh, bounce back next week. I'm not worried about that. But um, Matt Ryan, I would not be viewing him as like the cash lineup quarterback like we were early in the season and we should point out that Vita Vea the nose tackle had as many catches as OJ Howard uh one but he actually scored on his it was a goal line package I believe Vita Vea if I'm not making this up was like a running back in high school and this is someone who was just a massive human like 350 pounds do you remember that touchdown can you kind of spell it out for us yeah, and you're right. Uh, the TV broadcast said that he had 500 rushing yards in high school um, during his senior season. So, I mean, could you imagine being a high school linebacker going, <laughs> against, going up against that? I mean, just all halfback j- draws, every single It'd one be of terrifying. them. Terrifying. Yeah, uh, he was lined up as a fullback, I believe. A little play action, got out uh, in space. Nobody was near him. Like very soft hands. He didn't fall to the ground. I think a lot of times you see these defensive linemen catch it and then like fall over and trip themselves. <laughs> no, he stood up. And then uh, did a big spike. And then he came back on the field, had a pass deflection, was involved all day long. I mean, it was just like a the perfect day for Vita Vea. The Buffalo Bills at home improved to 8-3 and three now. Maybe they should deserve some of our respect. Uh, as they beat the Denver Broncos 20-3. to three. Josh Allen, 15-25, 185, two touchdowns and an interception to go along with 56 yards on the ground. John Daigle, tell us about Josh Allen's day. 
just an overall efficient day for the Bills as a whole, really. Uh, the Broncos couldn't get anything going. Obviously, Buffalo's secondary, as we know, is one of the best in the league. Probably their defense as a whole, actually. But Brandon Allen now making this start, just a, just an impossible matchup, and he looked the part. Whereas he put up over 20 points in both of his first two starts, he struggled immensely, which then just really lent itself to the Bills' offense kind of cruising, right? Like you have... 21 carries for uh, Devin Singletary. You have another 15 for Frank Gore. Uh, Josh Allen, an efficient outing where he showed his rushing floor. But really, even his touchdown to Cole Beasley, wide open Cole Beasley over the middle of the field. Hmm. Um, Josh Allen just stood in the pocket. It was a blitzer coming up the gap. Just threw it over the the blitzing defender's head. And boom, just walk in for a touchdown. And then obviously the wide open John Brown well not wide open it was still a good it was still a good throw and actually hitting John Brown for that 34 yard score that he just straight up beat Chris Harris on just outran him basically uh that was actually the first pass over 30 yards that Josh had complete Josh Allen completed all year long yeah I mean I I didn't complete one today so if it was any Josh it was that Josh <laughs> well he leads you 1-0 now on the year uh Cole Beasley Six receptions, 76 yards, and a touchdown, as you mentioned, on nine targets. And I believe the John Brown 34-yard score was actually, like, ruled incomplete for no reason at all. Like, he clearly landed in bounds with control and, like, slid on the ground. But it was changed. Devin Singletary, as you mentioned, 106 yards. How did he look? Um, because, you know, there had been talk of them wanting to get him more involved, that he was getting, like, 65% of the snaps, and us wondering how big of a usage that could actually be and important it could be because he's not getting goal line and short yardage work. He did have a long carry of just 11 yards, but it must have been kind of just pumping out three, four, five, six, seven-yard runs over and over and over again. Which is what he'll do. And he's also still a chunk play guy, though, because he's so explosive, and he's... He doesn't really run you over. He's more slippery than anything. But every time you look up, it seems like he's breaking a tackle. But really now what we have is this developing backfield. Since week nine, he's out-touched Frank Gore 72-44. to 44. So he is still the lead back. The thing is, for fantasy, he's still not the goal line guy. And in the, in the instance like today that Buffalo gets a, a large lead, Gore's obviously the one that's killing clock for most of the time in the fourth quarter as well. But Singletary just continues to look great. Um, you know, they don't give him the ball much in passing and, and passing game. And that's too, not his fault. It's just that Josh Allen doesn't really check down. And when he does go short, most of the time it's just to Cole Beasley. Yeah, some of his runs that I saw, some great vision to – not break defenders' angles, ankles necessarily, but he just did make some people miss in the open field and made some look silly. And Frank Gore, by the way, as you mentioned, passed Barry Sanders on the all-time rushing list. It's kind of crazy that we are witnessing that um, in our lifetime. Okay, on to the Broncos. I leaned over, and I'll be honest with the people out there because they deserve that. They listen to the show. They even hit the review button. Um, that I leaned over and said, Brennan Allen is not awful like he's not mason rudolph awful well he was today it seems like uh excuse me 10 completions on 25 attempts 82 yards and interception also took four sacks that's a qbr of six a quarterback rating of 32 all in all abysmal and that means Cortland sutton only gained 27 yards on one catch today on eight freaking targets i mean he just got tredavious like he was on tredavious all day and uh he had one big catch and that was about it but honestly It was, you look at the stats, just explains everything. Brandon Allen, 82 yards on 10 completions. 82 yards on 25 attempts is absolutely insane. Uh, The first person to do that since Charlie Whitehurst last did it in 2014. And anytime you're in a group with Charlie Whitehurst, that tells you everything you need to know about your day. So he he did he did the Brandon Allen thing. Like it looked terrible. However, like I said, his first two starts, he didn't look bad, but Cortland Sutherland kind of, uh, was affected by his poor performance, five consecutive three and outs at one point. And what, what really happened in this situation, despite his encouraging two starts, it's, it just opens the door wide open for Drew Locke next game. And I would honestly think that's what we're going to see. Hmm. Uh, Philip Lindsay continues, well, maybe not continues, but did dominate the backfield in this one with carries, 13 carries for 57 yards compared to Royce Freeman's two carries. Um, and no offense, just five targets three receptions and 14 yards. Okay. Well, yeah, I just wanted to say quickly that 
like Devin Singletary and how he's taking command of that backfield, making him a low-end RB2, probably closer to an RB3, like RB25, uh, Lindsey should warrant even more consideration than that because since that report two weeks ago that Fangio is now going to – and the team is are starting going to using Lindsey in particular as the lead back, he's out-touched Royce Freeman 32-13. to 13. So I think we have an actual sturdy – strong like rb15 to rb20 for the rest of the season no matter who's under center all right the other game you had uh wasn't any better the detroit lions no. on the road no. lose to the washington redskins redskins get their second win of the season um i don't know really what the story is here because no skill position player went over 100 yards uh, i guess we should just go to the end Dwayne haskins leads a end of the game game-winning field goal drive on a, was it a 26-yard completion to Terry McLaurin, fully extended, catching it with his fingertips while leaping into the air. Uh, Haskins, though, only finishes the day 13 of 29, 156 and an interception. So despite that win, despite the positive feeling there, where there's some obvious accuracy issues here with Haskins. Oh, it is unreal when you watch it. Like, no one, I mean, I swear to you, I haven't seen anyone sail balls like this all year long. And I've watched nearly every Ryan Finley start, and that's saying something. Uh, this one as a whole, though, like, go back and watch it. It's, it's like, comically miserable. Because even Jeff Driscoll, who looked so good in his first two starts as well, um, was was just totally poor. And, yes, Washington did bench Josh Norman and put Quentin Dunbar in, but that still shouldn't have led Driscoll to really just, he basically forgot how to play football in the past seven days. It was miserable, but yeah, Haskins missed McLaurin wide open in the red zone and near the end zone twice, like literally just sailed it over him. Um, had a few, he had fumble on the first possession, a strip sack where he wasn't paying attention. Uh, his interception can be credited to Kelvin Harmon along the sideline as Harmon is now playing a full-time role over Paul Richardson. But yeah, man, it's just, it's not encouraging watching <laughs> Haskins play. I, just when you go back and watch it, it it's, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's not pretty. It's honestly just not pretty. And in a funny little moment, not criticizing him, but a funny little moment when the Redskins got the ball back, which is a few seconds ago, and they needed to kneel the ball down, Case Keenum was inserted into the game because Dwayne Haskins was taking selfies with fans along the mm. sidelines. So just another little fun football moment we had this year. Uh, Darius Geis, 10 carries, 32 yards. Hey, Adrian Pearson, also 10 carries for a measly 27 yards. Uh, there were no uh offensive touchdowns by the Redskins today. In fact, I believe their only touchdown of the day was on a return touchdown. Yes, and they won the game, which tells you how miserable the lines were. Uh, what's funny, though, with Adrian Peterson is that he is only he only needs 241 yards over the next five games to move to number five all-time on the career rushing all-time rushing yards list. But with Darius Geis the last two games back, he's only averaged 26 yards per game, and that pace is not going to get him there. So – uh, I would imagine, even if he's at the tail end of his career, he's coming back to move to number three. Number two is like still a thousand yards away. He's not going to get there. But number three, like that's what you're kind of crossing your fingers for because you're not going to get anything from him in fantasy the rest of the year. Uh, let's talk about Jeff Driscoll because I have called him 82% Josh Allen. He was less than that today. 20 of 33, 207 yards, one touchdown, yeah, three interceptions, six sacks. Um, that, that just does not read well. And I guess it didn't look well either. He, he went back to Cincinnati Bengals, Jeff Driscoll, who was almost moved to wide receiver. Yeah, it was, it was not pretty. It, it's just, and they were all his fault. Really. They were just overthrown balls. Um, not, not many miscommunications. Whereas like, you know, in that Broncos game, Brandon Allen's interception was a miscommunication with Corlin Sutton. Not really miscommunications here. It was just Jeff Driscoll becoming Bengals Jeff Driscoll and not the 82% Josh Allen Jeff Driscoll. And Bo Scarborough, who popped out last week for out of nowhere, 18 carries, 98 yards. Kenny Galladay, four receptions, 61 yards on four targets. Marvin Jones, I guess, continues to see more targets at 11 this week, but just five for 46. That's it. That's all we need to say about this. You game. know, I'm out quickly. Not yet, just quickly, just really quick. Uh, Bo Scarborough, like, 
the game against the Bears, like the Bears' rush defense is still struggling without Akeem Hicks and um, Danny Stravathan. We'll see if he plays Thursday. So Bo Scarborough actually becoming hmm. the Lions' lead runner. Like they used him. That's that's 18 carries to Ty Johnson's four. on Johnson wasn't even seeing that favoritism. So Bo Scarborough, who like had so many yards. I don't have the exact numbers from me because PFF doesn't have him, out, have him out just yet at the time of this recording, but he had so many yards after contact. Like he actually looked good. And yes, that's against Washington defenders. But if you can get him on like a Thursday DFS slate or you need like an RB3-4 in standard leagues, he's not the worst option at this time. I actually had the Carolina Panthers losing to the New Orleans Saints 34-31 to in New Orleans, bringing the Saints to 9-2 and in the season. The Panthers dropping below 500. At five and six, this game kicked off with a touchdown drive culminating in a Latavius Murray 26-yard touchdown run. It was actually the first Saints touchdown on an opening drive this season, which is wild to think about with a team with nine wins on the season. Michael Thomas is already, before Thanksgiving, up to 104 receptions on the season, hauling in 10 of 11 targets for 101 yards and a touchdown today. Alvin Kamara added... 102 yards of his own total, 54 in the ground, 48 in the air. He was a focal point of the second half. And actually, Sean Payton told Tracy Wolfson at halftime that he would be. And Jared Cook continues to look like the Jimmy Graham ages of tight ends in New Orleans, bringing in six of eight targets for 99 yards and a touchdown. And Traquan Smith had an easy, easy touchdown catch in the red zone where Dante Jackson lost him in zone coverage. And then Eric Reed was too far away to make a play on it. All in all, Drew Brees, 30 of 39, 311 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. He did try a couple deep shots to Tedgen, one just off the fingertips, another one just misplaced. So he is attempting those vertical passes. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the passing game being built around Michael Thomas and Jared Cook and Alvin Kamara, who are shorter targets. But if they can hit some of those deeper targets as the game goes along, as the season goes along, then it would open up the offense a little bit more. The Panthers kept it competitive, as you can tell, though. 31 points of their own. Kyle Allen, 23 of 26, 256 yards and three touchdowns. We got the good Kyle Allen this week compared to the atrocious one we got last week with four interceptions. He climbed the pocket. The Panthers dealt with offensive line injuries all day long. He did hit a monster 52-yard touchdown pass to DJ Moore. And on the day, I mean, DJ Moore continues just to break out. Six receptions, 126 yards, and two touchdowns. That means it's four straight games with at least 95 receiving yards for DJ Moore. Other than that, Christian McCaffrey, 22 carries, 64 yards, and a score on the ground, but just a long carry of nine. And then added another 69 yards and a reception in the air. You know, there were some moments of this game that were major game-shifting plays. The Panthers went for it pretty early in this one, right before half in a fourth down scenario from the one-yard line, and got it rather than settling for a field goal. The Panthers got another attempt to score a touchdown later on when a pass interference penalty was called upon review on the Saints. That's some irony. And it wasn't even one of those like egregious ones that we saw in other contests this year. But it really came down to basically a 30-yard kick with about two minutes left that would have taken the Panthers up on the scoreboard by three. Instead, Joey Sly misses a field goal as he also missed multiple extra points in this game. And then Drew Brees was just surgical on his game-winning field goal drive as well, including a 24-yard pass along the right sideline to Michael Thomas. And I can't stress this enough, just how DJ Moore is being used, how Greg Olson is being used, how Christian McCaffrey is being used. There's just not enough to go around for Curtis Samuel right now, and especially where Curtis Samuel is running his routes. It seems like so many of them are vertically. And Kyle Allen is just not a vertical passer. So no matter what, and you probably aren't doing this right now, do not start Curtis Samuel until we see something different. And most likely that'll be in the 2020 season. The Seattle Seahawks on the road improved to 9-2, and two, beating the Philadelphia Eagles 17-9. to nine. Nick Minzio had this game for us. Nick, this is just another game in a string of them that the Eagles have struggled offensively. But first, let's turn to Seattle because there really was the one standout performer that was a shocker to just about everyone. And that was Rashad Penny, 14 carries, 129 yards, and a touchdown, including a long touchdown run 
of 58 yards. Compare that to Chris Carson, just eight carries and 26 yards. Season low, eight carries for Chris Carson. I mean, it seemed like they were trying to get Penny involved either way. Like he had a, he had a few carries in the first half. Uh, one of them went for a long gain up the left side. Uh, so it's not, it seemed like they once he busted that big run, they gave him a little more work, a little more work, and then Chris Carson fumbled on back to back plays in the second half. Oh, no. um, he recovered his own first one, and then I guess him and Russell Wilson kind of had like a miscommunication on a on a handoff, but like Russell Wilson stuck around his belly, but Chris Carson didn't take it, so it was another fumble right there. Uh, the Eagles recovered, and then. It was Penny the whole way after that. So, I mean, Pete Carroll stuck, stuck by Carson through plenty of fumbles already this year. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see what see how mm. this backfield shakes out next week against the Vikings. Yeah, especially a lot of people who are making the fantasy playoffs certainly have yeah. Chris Carson in their lineup. So that's something to monitor the news as we go along. Carson did have four catches for the 31 yards. What about Russell Wilson? Uh, I don't think Tyler Lockett had much of an opportunity. I don't think he had like a catch until what the third quarter. And then he finished with just two targets and one catch for 38 yards. And DK Metcalf only had three catches for 35 yards. Neither of them had a score. Yeah. DK Metcalf actually dropped a 38 yard touchdown. That was right in his hands in the end Mm -hmm. zone. Um, Perfect throw from Russell Wilson. It kind of got, it was kind of windy there in Philly today. It kind of got blown around in the wind up there a little bit, but it was still a catch. Any any receiver should make Um, DK Metcalf also had a, diving catch down the uh, right sideline that went off his hands and didn't he didn't come down with it he could have a huge game in this game um tyler lockett like you said his first target with like five five minutes in the third quarter didn't catch his only ball until midway through the fourth quarter so the the leg wasn't a problem he was out there for his normal allotment of snaps it looked like um it just the the opportunities just weren't there and, and we've seen this a couple times with lockett this year so i'm not worried about him Malik Turner was the one who caught the touchdown as a 33-yarder. Uh, and Jacob Hollister, just four targets, two catches, 22 yards. On the Eagles' side of this, I mean, they asked Carson Wentz to throw the football 45 times in this game. He completed 33 of them, but only, only for 256 yards, a touchdown, and then two interceptions. He also took three sacks. That kind of encapsulates what this Eagles offense is right now, right? Like 45 attempts resulting in a measly 256 yards because this Eagles team just lacks explosive playmakers. It lacks anyone that can win down the field. I'm assuming a lot of these were in the five to 10 yard range, if not even shorter than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. There were a lot of, a lot of one yard passes in the flats to Dallas Goddard and Zachers. Um, Wentz's yards per attempt, like midway through the, third quarter was at like 3.7 yards per attempt which is like just god awful um running backs can average more yards per carry than he, he was throwing the ball so um but like you said no no downfield not uh option whatsoever in this offense right now with alshon jeffrey out who's never really been a downfield threat but deshaun jackson especially um this offense is going through the tight ends right now when the running backs um doesn't look like wentz is going to be like a quarterback one the rest of the season i don't think but i mean next week he gets the dolphin so hmm He's getting a great spot next week, but they just do not have any downfield options right now. Well, um, and even with the Seahawks, like the Seahawks defense isn't very good. They were without yeah. Jadavion Clowney, and I know that they didn't have their right tackle and um, Lane Johnson. So, you know, maybe there were some offensive line miscues, but still, like, this should be a time for the Eagles offense and Carson Wentz to have some yards and some points, and they just didn't do it. In fact, I believe Carson Wentz got booed off the field, and he told the fans they had every right to boom just be it based on his performance. Yeah, the, the 256 yards were actually his most over the last five weeks, which tells oh you a gosh. lot about his game, his his game last month, two months since Deshaun Jackson's been hurt. Ugh. And Miles Sanders did have 12 carries for 63 yards. You mentioned Zach Ertz. I mean, he had 14 whopping targets, 12 receptions, 91 yards, and a touchdown. But basically everyone else other than Miles Sanders is probably irrelevant. And we should mention... I think it was reported that J.H.I. would have a significant role, quote-unquote. Well, that <laughs> added up to six carries for 16 yards. Uh, significant, for a, significant for a guy who hasn't played in, I right. guess, a year and a half, <laughs> I guess. I hey, know. that's six more carries from than me and you. So, okay. Right, that's true. The other game that you had was the Philadelphia Eagles at the Cincinnati Bengals for a fairly significant stretch of this game it was close 10 to 10 at halftime between these two teams but the Steelers ultimately come out on top and improved to six and five which is wild to say uh over the 0 and 11 Bengals um the story the story from this one is that Mason Rudolph after going eight of 16 for 85 yards 
playing like an absolute trash can for most of the season. Um, and after the fiasco that happened in the Cleveland Browns situation in that game, um, after that 85 yards was benched for Devlin Hodges, who then went out five of 11, one touchdown and 118 yards on a long throw to actually Mason Rudolph's former teammate in James Washington that went for 79 yards and a score. Yeah, uh, Mason Rudolph threw another interception inside uh, the Bengals' five-yard line, um, took an awful 13-yard sack like right before he was benched. I think it was the drive before he got benched. Um, just he, he, does, he hasn't played well since he's been in the lineup, honestly. So it was, it was a much-needed switch to Duck Hodges. Um, he completed his first two passes for 90 yards and touchdown, already had better stats than Mason Rudolph on, <laughs> on 16 throws. So, I mean, Hodges is... Obviously not the answer either, but neither of these guys is clearly in the long-term picture here in Pittsburgh. They're not they're not options to replace Ben Roethlisberger down the road. So it's just wild to say the Steelers are six and five. It's probably the weakest six and five in the league. Obviously, did any of the beat writers or coaches mention anything after the game that you picked up on that this could be Mason Rudolph's job back? It was just Devlin Hodges for this game, so on and so forth. Or is it just something again we have to pick it up during the week based on the news? I honestly didn't see anything, but I would ima- I would be really surprised if they went back to Rudolph after benching that game, especially against the Browns, who just kicked his face in two yeah. weeks ago. So, well, and Rudolph wasn't the only one that didn't perform well. Jalen Samuels basically did not play. I mean, he had three targets, three receptions, twenty six yards, uh, and then two carries for six yards. This is a situation where James Conner was ruled out pretty early on in the week, and many thought that, hey, we know that the Steelers love to go to one-back offenses, and that would be Jalen Samuels. No, it was Benny freaking Snell for 21 <laughs> yards, uh, for 21 carries and 98 yards. I mean, I know he had a long gain of 21 yards, Benny Snell, and so with Kareth White, by the way, who's this like tiny runner from FAU who racked up 43. But Benny Snell is like the most mediocre running back in the NFL, and I'm just stunned that a team, and I'm not saying Jalen Samuels is great, but like, why would he get benched in this situation? Yeah, he he was he was playing, but they were like lining up as like a slot guy, kind of like hmm. I guess they were trying to mitigate the loss of Juju and not d- dive deeper into their receiver rotation. I don't know what they were doing, but I, I played a lot of Samuels on FanDuel, and I had this thought in the back of my head: I'm like, oh my gosh, Benny Snell's coming back this week, so I could see this happening. But I'm I'm gonna trust that Jalen Samuels is is better than him. They're gonna play him more but nope it was it was benny this benny the snail going in the back in the backfield there he's, so he's so average. i mean i expect i expect james connor to play next week so i don't think this is like a long-term thing that we have to worry about for fantasy so um i would just kind of i think samuels is a drop now since snell's ahead of him and then connor's going back so i think you can safely cut bait on samuels in fantasy quickly with the Bengals, ryan finley still is not good 12 uh, completions on 26 attempts, 192 yards, and a touchdown. Joe Mixon got 18 carries for 79 yards, a long run of 14. Then Tyler Boyd, after catching one pass for zero yards last week, I believe, goes 5-101 and one touchdown this week. Anything from the Bengals side that you saw? Yeah, I mean, like Tyler Boyd made some noise in the in the media last week saying he needed more targets from Ryan Finley, led the team with nine targets, caught the touchdown, also almost walked in for a second touchdown, but was stripped with a fumble at the five-yard line that Minka Fitzpatrick returned like 40-something yards, set the Steelers up for a field goal, field goal late in the game that essentially ended the game. So, I mean, this this pass offense can't support more than one guy, and, and Boyd's the guy at most weeks. Uh, Auden Tate was a non-factor. Alex Erickson saw eight targets but caught two of them. Ryan Finley's completing like 46% of his passes over his three starts. It's, it's just not a good situation. The Chicago Bears at home improved to 5-6, and six, beating the New York Giants 19-14. to 14. Uh, Yes, this means we had a quarterback duel, I'll put them in quotes, with Mitch Trubisky and Daniel Jones. And luckily for him, Jesse Pantusco had that game for us. Uh, Jesse, Mitch did throw a touchdown. He also threw... Two interceptions, but after last week's into the game storyline of the hip pointer, so on and so forth, how did Mitch look today? This is probably about as good as it's going to get for Trubisky. Yeah, he he had a couple of head scratching interceptions, and you know the decision making is still far from ideal. But obviously, this was miles better than what we saw against the Rams last week. And, you know, for the most part, took advantage of a pretty good matchup against a listless Giants secondary, threw for a season high 278 yards, 
also showed his athleticism a little bit by running in a touchdown his first of the year and showed excellent chemistry with Allen Robinson, who went for 131 yards and could have had even more. He had a 60-yard play that was negated by a penalty. Wow. Um, okay, let's focus on Robinson then. Was it just that the Giants' corners, which have been a problem all year long, were just, again, a problem here today? Yeah, they were really picking on uh, Corey Ballantine, the sixth-round rookie. And, yeah, it's just you know, the Giants' secondary has really struggled all year, even – you know, their high-priced, you know, lockdown corner. Janoris Jenkins has had sort of an off year, though he's been better recently. DeAndre Baker, the first-round rookie, has had – he's been graded by pro football focus as one of the worst cornerbacks in the league. And, yeah, in the second half particularly, Allen Robinson just went to work. 113 of his yards came after halftime, broke off a number of big plays, had a 49-yard catch – and ended up with a 32-yard touchdown. And, you know, it was like a nice bounce-back week for him because he had been struggling a little bit, as as the whole Bears offense has. He uh, Going into this game, he had been held under 20 yards in two of his last three games after getting off to uh, a pretty reasonably good start this year. I know a lot of people thought about and did play David Montgomery this week because I believe the Bears were favorites. And, you know, with David Montgomery, we can expect at least, what, 14 touches. Well, he got 15 today. But on the ground, it was just 13 carries for 22 yards. And this could kind of be predicted because if the Giants are good anywhere on defense, it's stopping the run with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams at the middle. And the Bears right now are just atrocious at blocking for the run. Yeah, the Giants have a bit of a, a, as they call a funnel defense. And, you know, I, I don't even, you know, kind of regardless of opponent, Montgomery just hasn't looked very good lately. He's averaged just 2.64 yards per carry over his last four games. Kind of fooled us in the middle of the year with a a couple of strong weeks, buoyed by some long runs. But, you know, in his debut season, he, you know, coming out of Iowa State, we heard all, we we knew athletically he didn't profile great, kind of bombed the combine as a 4'6 guy. But uh, at Iowa State, I believe he led the league, led all of college football in, uh, missed tackles forced last season and we haven't seen that elusiveness at the next level unfortunately and that continued today with you know arguably his worst game yet on the Giants side Daniel Jones did have 150 yards but that was on 36 attempts uh, and two touchdowns um, and he fumbled again Jesse this is I believe 11 fumbles in five games for Daniel Jones and it's becoming a problem yeah, absolutely. I, I I had it down as his tenth lost fumble of the year, and you know that ball security is you know it was the big issue with Eli Manning and why they thought they could give Daniel Jones a try, and he's sort of been just as bad in that regard, especially with holding onto the football and the fumbles. And it's a shame because he does a lot of things well. Yeah, I think he broke off a twenty-six yard run this game, and is you know worlds better athletically than Eli, who is by the end of his starting tenure basically just a statue. But yeah, he'll you know he's good for one head scrap, a scratching, tur- sometimes multiple head scratching hmm. turnovers per game. And his fumble this week was especially costly. He got strip sacked by Khalil Mack, and the Bears recovered it at the three three yard line and scored a couple plays later. And you just yeah. can't do that if you're going to win games. Saquon Barkley, 17 carries for 59 yards. He'd have a long run of 22, but where he is right now, still probably dealing with that high ankle sprain, even if it's not publicly. Like we, we, we know Saquon is this type that can have 13 carries for 22 yards and then spring a long run of 40, 50, 60, and he's just not going to have the juice right now to break off those 40, 50, 60 yarders. Um, Darius Slayton was the team's leader with four catches, 67 yards, and Sterling Shepard did return for five receptions on nine targets for only, only 15 yards. I'm not sure if there's anything else you want to say about this Giants offense because it kind of seems boring right now, Jesse. Yeah, well, I was. Imp- you mentioned Slayton, and I was definitely impressed with what he was able to produce today because I, I assumed that with Shepard back from his you know five game absence, that not that he Slayton would be the odd man out, but definitely his target share would go down. And I guess that was true on some level, but he outproduced you know both Golden Tate and Shepard, and just looks like the real deal. A guy that I you know really honestly didn't know a lot about going into this season. 
but he's you know reasonably big and he's a four three guy and is really kind of thriving in this offense. He's tied for the league lead among rookies with five touchdown catches. So he's hmm. been a, a you know a, in the year that ha- a lot hasn't gone right for the Giants. They're they're riding a seven game losing streak right now, but he's he's definitely been a bright spot. All right, let's go to the other game you had, uh, and I should apologize publicly from all of Roto World to you. It was the Tennessee Titans being the Jaguars at home, forty-two to twenty. That actually brings the Titans to six and five. And Jesse, previewing this game, it was pretty simple, right? Like the plan: give Derrick Henry a lot of touches, and he's going to run over the thirtieth-ranked Jacksonville Jaguars run defense. Well, today that went for nineteen carries for one hundred and fifty-nine yards and two touchdowns with a long touchdown run of 74 yards where he just made a lot of Jaguars defenders just fall to the ground because of stiff arms. Yeah, I mean, you you, you hit it on the head. Jacksonville has been atrocious against the run recently. You know, coming into this game last week, they allowed 200-yard rushers, actually, which is really hard to do with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Williams both going for over 100 and before their bye. I believe they gave up over 100 to Carlos Hyde, too. So, you know, Henry was just like the DFS lock to end all locks. And we know his history against Jacksonville. Last year he had, I believe, 238 yards and four touchdowns when they played in Tennessee. And, you know, he probably could have inflicted more damage if this game had been, I don't know, a little closer. He basically got the took a, got to take a breather uh, for the, you know, the last five minutes of the game. They used Deion Lewis. But yeah, Jacksonville's uh, run defense was still awful, and Henry's—he's just playing out of his mind right now. Before the Titans buy, I believe he had 188 yards and two touchdowns in an upset win at Kansas City. He's, I believe, nine yards away from clinching his second straight thousand-yard season. You know, any way you slice it, he's just a top-five running back in fantasy, and he's been awesome. Ryan Tannehill also had two rushing scores to go along with two passing scores on 259 yards on just 14 of 18 attempts. And the reason why that yardage total is so high is because of A.J. Brown. Only five targets, just four receptions, but 135 yards in the air with a long catch of 65 yards that also went for a touchdown. I've tweeted about this a lot, and I think A.J. Brown is being underused this year, but I'm not sure if he's going to be correctly used at all with you know the decision makers that are in place right now. But there are moments when he looks absolutely rare movement-wise. And for his size, like a Larry Fitzgerald size, he made the Jacksonville defense look slow, made multiple people miss, and it's one of those plays that you want to go back during the week and watch. Yeah, in my write-up, I did the the AJ Brown blurb and I compared his size to Larry Fitzgerald was a good example, but I compared him to Anquan Bolden and Des Bryant, sort of kind of a big burly guy, but he's faster than either of those guys ever were. He's a four four guy and he just totally looked it on that sixty five yard touchdown dash where you know he beat EJ uh, AJ Bouye, the Jags top corner, and it was just off to the races. And yeah, I I think fantasy owners probably. He's, probably never going to deliver at least this season not going to deliver what fantasy what on his full potential just because this is a run first offense and it's it's kind of working for him right now with Derrick Henry playing great but on the you know the limited opportunities he's getting the five to seven targets a game you know Brown's been very efficient and you know just about as as good as any rookie in the league at you know breaking off those explosive big home run plays and Corey Davis returned from injury and caught just two passes for 29 yards. Again, the Titans didn't really need to do anything offensively. Um, and in fact, the Jaguars scoring 20 points is kind of not a fluke, but it was all garbage. Like they didn't score uh, in over eight points in a quarter until the fourth quarter with nine points. I mean, just three points at halftime. This is a situation right now, Jesse, where I, I truly think that Gardner Minshew is a better fit. Now, I, I'm not saying that like, Nick Foles is the reason why the Titans gave up 42 points here. But like when it was within one score or close, because it was just seven to three at halftime here, I believe Nick Foles could only muster three points for his team offensively by halftime. And he was 32 of 48. So that's a good completion percentage, but it only went for 272 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Like this is just someone 
who behind this offensive line that's going to give up disruption and pressure is not someone that's going to throw down the field. And this Titans defense really isn't one that we should really be worrying about with Nick Foles at quarterback. You do. Yeah. Uh, I think obviously there are limits. Foles is a big name. You know, he's, he's sort of this, you know, playoff hero, iconic, you know, Eagles legend and all of that. He looked very ordinary today and, you know, he's capable of, of moving it downfield and he has with, with DJ Chark in past weeks, but they, they didn't really connect on anything today. And he did settle for a lot of checkdowns to Leonard Fournette, who ended up having probably his most productive receiving game as a pro. He, he drew a team high 12 targets, which is four more than he had ever had in a game before. And he just seemed to have a, a hand in everything Jacksonville did offensively. I believe he had a career high 33 touches, uh, 30, 33 touches and most importantly, finally, found the end zone after a five-game scoreless drought, ended up with uh, with two touchdowns. And as, as you mentioned before, both of them were, were sort of in garbage time. Yeah, you mentioned Fournette, 97 yards, two touchdowns on 24 carries on the ground. Uh, he also had 62 receiving yards. D.D. Westbrook led the team in receiving yards with 69, which I guess is something we should look into with Nick Foles at quarterback. Meanwhile, D.J. Chark, just 38 receiving yards. The Browns continue their three-game winning streak. Winning at home, 41-24 to over the Miami Dolphins. Anthony Costa had that game for us. Uh, Anthony, I see Baker Mayfield once again. Three touchdown passes, 327 yards. Certainly a game that the Browns piled on the Dolphins early, up by 28-3 to at halftime. This was probably Baker's best game. That's obviously against Miami. That's as expected. But a 7-1 TD to interception ratio the last three weeks, that's good to see. He had some dimes in this game. The throw to Landry that set up the Chubb touchdown was probably his best throw. But he also had some bad ones. The interception was behind Beckham. Should have been right on him. He had a second interception in the red zone that was overturned on a penalty. Forced throws, that's been a recurring theme with Baker. Really, his problem is... He's been too aggro. He's throwing too many passes into tight coverages. I think he's cut down on that a lot. His interceptions have been down. I'm not ready to say Baker's back, but I also think when you look at it, the Browns had a brutal midseason schedule. A lot of his struggles were against good defenses. So for me, it's fair to be optimistic on Baker. The Browns have a very favorable rest-of-season schedule. Yeah, they are 5-6 and six right now, and they do get the Steelers next week, the Bengals after that, the Cardinals after that. Really, the rest of the season, the only loss might be the Ravens, I guess, in Week 16. Uh, a few more Browns points here, because all the really good players that we were excited about prior to the season went off. I mean, Nick Chubb at 106 rushing yards and a touchdown. Uh, he added another 58 yards in the air. You had Jarvis Landry catch 10 passes for 148 yards. Odell Beckham had a touchdown, uh, 84 yards in the air. I forgot to mention that Jarvis Landry had two touchdowns. So it certainly seems like the formula is there, and I know against the Dolphins, that this team can still be impactful offensively and get it together. Just hopefully they can do that the rest of the season. And if they do, the playoffs are absolutely in sight. Yeah, uh, I mean, they need help. Playoff-wise, they need help, but it's not hard to see the Browns getting to nine wins. Well, you know, you look at two games against the Bengals, Cardinals, those are winnable games. So, yeah, I mean, they're starting to click at the right time. But, again, I'm not putting a ton into this. It's it's against the Dolphins, and the Dolphins are only down two scores in the second half. So, hmm. you know, this is a good step in the right direction, three straight wins, but still, it's going to be tough. On the Dolphins' side, Ryan says, Fryan Fitzpatrick had 214 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He did add another 45 rushing yards and a touchdown. He was the team's leading rusher, which is making me chuckle. Um, Devontae Parker, I guess, keeps putting up numbers. 11 targets, six receptions, 91 yards. I personally have a very difficult time playing Devontae Parker on a week-to-week basis because, for me, I don't like relying on anyone that might rely on garbage time. Because I want players that are efficient in neutral and positive game script situations. And I don't know if Devontae Parker fits that. Would you be comfortable playing him more often? What did he show today? Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, Parker's maybe been the lone bright spot for Miami. Kind of a rebound season. 11 targets this week. The target share's been good on him. 
Um, Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant left with injuries, so that could go even higher. The target share could go up. Uh, I think he's done a nice job rehabbing his value. Uh, and I think the floor hasn't been bad, at least 50 yards in nine straight weeks. Yet he's going to be subject to the Dolphins' offense just tanking. But I like Parker as a volume play, and the injury stuff could get him a bump. So Kalen Balaj remains um, just not worth it. I, I think that's a nice way of putting it. Seven carries, 13 yards in this game. Uh, now for the season, he has 122 yards on 64 attempts, an average of 1.9 yards per carry. Uh, I do want to ask before we close out this one with Patrick Laird, because I can't tell you how often this week I got questions about, hey, Patrick Laird caught some passes last week. We know how Kalen, bad Kalen Balaj is. Could Patrick Laird do something? Well, today... Three carries, 20 yards, and then he had no catches on one target. I don't know if I have to ask you about it. I just wanted to make that statement. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins had a three-back committee this week. Balaj led the backfield, had a 40% snap rate. But, yeah, Balaj is god-awful. He's been <laughs> one of the worst plotting backs I've seen. And it, it was almost like they tried to feature him. They were giving him wildcat snaps. You know, you like Blot, or um, you like Laird, um, or maybe you don't like him. But oh, no, I do not. No, 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 I do not. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure why they haven't went to Miles Gaskin. Gaskin had some hype in college, four-year starter, ran for a ton of yards. But, yeah, Laird ended up getting the second most snaps. But it wouldn't surprise me if Gaskin emerges at some point. But I don't see much value behind a bad offensive line on a team that always plays from behind. Once again, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you did make it this far in the episode or even just listen for a moment, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes, wherever you're listening. And tell one friend, tell one friend during this Thanksgiving break that you really like the podcast. If Think about it this way. If all of you told one person, our audience would double. That'd be so cool. That would be great. All right. Again, we'll talk to you on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. See everyone. Have a great Thanksgiving. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.